0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Ron Bachman, and this program is Healthcare Insight. Many of you have been with us for many weeks, listening about new ideas on healthcare reform, healthcare changes that can be made at both the federal level and the state level. We've talked about how this current environment of the corona health virus, this coronavirus that's affecting all of us, how we live and how we work. And those of you listening to this live know that we are at the end of March 2020, and many of us are still in lockdown. While the president has been finding ways to get the supplies to hospitals across the country and preparing to get us back to work, hopefully by Easter, many of you are still in lockdown and many of you maybe in hotspot locations where the idea of getting back to work and back to life normally uh, looks pretty bleak right now. If you're in New York, if you're in Seattle, if you're in Los Angeles or San Francisco, many of those areas have unique features of very condensed population of people who have moved around the country and have moved down the world and came home, maybe brought the virus with them unknowingly. So, we've got a country that is in turmoil. It's testing our healthcare system. It's testing our whole concept of financing that healthcare system, other support during issues of great magnitude like a pandemic. Looking to the future, how are we gonna handle the delivery of healthcare in situations similar to this? Our public health system that existed for so long really didn't have much of a mission, didn't know how to operate, or connect others so the president broke down that old system which was not designed to handle pandemics or anything of this magnitude they were state by state public health systems we had a national public health system but it really wasn't all that active and we got tested with this pandemic virus and things have been torn down and rebuilt so that we will have a system in the future. We will have new connections. We'll, we'll, have new structures. We'll have new delivery systems. I'm sure we'll have a bigger national reserve of many of the items that are necessary uh, in treating pandemics like this. But as we move through this, some people want to nationalize our hospitals. We want the government to take over the hospitals Employ the doctors, tell them what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Fortunately, we have leadership in Washington today that is not falling for that false hope of government takeover. We've got problems, but they're better solved with the private market. And when we get through all this, our healthcare system will be stronger because there will be better connections. We'll be a better leadership structure established. So that the private market, the private hospitals, can connect to government resources when they're needed. But don't have to fear a government takeover when there's a major problem. The old saying, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you, creates a a laugh for most people. Because they know that that's not the way it works. Government doesn't move very fast. The government creates problems and then comes in and says they're going to try to help you solve the problem. When we get through all this... I'm convinced that we'll also begin to take a look at the financing of healthcare and how the private market really is the answer to financing private health care through private health insurance. So what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is how to create a system that I call personalized health insurance as the financing mechanism to the greatest health care system in the world. And we're finding out that healthcare system can be responsive, can take care of people, that our pharmaceutical industry can do new, in, invent new products, new cures, new therapies, new immunizations, all that's coming from the United States. Now, some people make fun of the president, for example, identifying some therapies that can help really diminish the impact of the coronavirus or limit its impact and get people back to recovery. But what we're seeing is that actually is happening around the world. The experiments in France that have proven the drugs that he mentioned uh, have had a significant beneficial impact to patients that came down with serious forms of the coronavirus. We're doing testing in New York today so that we can get the kind of scientific study that would allow for a much broader distribution of those medications with the scientific community buying and being on board. But there's nothing wrong with that compassionate use of saying, if you have no hope, we have nothing new to help you. And this has shown to work. There's no reason why it shouldn't be tried. And it looks as though it may be a good solution. Anybody listening to this on podcasts a month or two from now, you'll know the answer as to whether or not some of these new therapies actually work to help minimize the impact of the coronavirus. But it certainly does look promising. There's no reason for it not to be tested. And the success rate in France, for example, while it was a very limited study, was so profound that the researchers over there said there is no need for testing. You've got to do it. It's ethically appropriate to be using those medications now. So we're going to find out. But we're also going to find out about our health insurance system in the United States and how it can be much more effective than the type of insurance, government-controlled insurance programs across the country. We know that insurance companies have stepped up in emergency and provided for the tests at no cost to individuals. The insurance industry, the private industry, has stepped up to help provide the kinds of services that are necessary to try to treat the people in desperate care. So I want to continue to talk today about personalized health insurance because we have to do something. And maybe it's time the Republicans and Democrats get together just like they did today with their bailout package, if you will, to help individuals, small businesses and these large companies like the airlines and the the cruise industry that have been so hurt and employ so many people to keep those companies from failing. And President Trump was on the forefront when he said there are certain industries we need to have the United States for our own security, our own benefit. So he started to bring back the steel industry, saying we can't rely on other countries if we have to build and prepare for war, prepare for battles around the world. And the same thing now, I think, is being recognized that we can't allow our medications to be dependent upon what they're willing to do in China. they've already, China's already threatened us as a country to withhold kind of medications that are produced over there. I have firm confidence in the CEOs and the corporate world here in the United States that they will immediately, and that they already have set out structures and strategies to bring manufacturing back to the United States, be sure that we at least have duplicate resources if we need them, that they have backups. So I think we're going to see a surge in manufacturing jobs and in capabilities in the United States to do the things to be self-sustaining as a country and not rely on our enemies in many cases to provide some of the critical services and products that we need as a country, that we need to be able to have to support our own needs in time of crisis. So I think we'll have that back. Hopefully we can get the Republicans and Democrats together. There's still a lot of animosity. One of the things that I'm hopeful that we are near the end of this crisis is that I'm starting to see partisanship actually show up again, which is the wrong thing to do. But in the world we've been living in, we had a temporary getting together, Trump being nice to the Democrats. Leadership in New York and California and Washington, working with them, getting the supplies and services they need, giving them focus and attention, giving them priority, even though he's unlikely to get any kind of electoral victory in those states. He's doing it because he's the president of all the people. And he had nice things from liberals like Governor Cuomo and Gavin Newsom, governor of California. Governors across the country, Democrats, have been very complimentary of the president for getting him what they need when they need it. Only now, at the very end of all this, when it looks like we're starting to recover, do we see sort of the um, sniping back and forth of Governor Cuomo saying, well, you know, a thousand beds set up in the Javits Center is not enough, Uh, 800 respirators is not enough. He wants 30,000. And if he has extra, or doesn't need them, he'll pass them on to the States. Well, he's not the only state in the country it has to be spread out to all the different people. But Trump is getting the private industry like GM and other companies actually produce those respirators. So they will be available. There are companies donating masks. There are companies that have retooled in order to build more masks. So we're going to work together together at least for a time here, and hopefully longer. But I can see already the sniping because we are in election year, and that's probably going to continue and get worse again. We're going to have Monday morning quarterbacks that will look back and say, we didn't do something fast enough. We didn't do something good enough. We didn't communicate to the right people. All the things that are easy to do in a crisis to look back. And to be a Monday morning quarterback and say something's wrong just for the politics of it. But we don't really want or need that anymore. We hopefully can get past that. And I think whichever way it winds up, whether we can come together a little bit for this time frame or whether it's after the election and things get settled down again, we've got to figure out how to work together. And health insurance reform is critically necessary. We know the Republicans do not have a consensus on health reform. They just keep saying they're going to cover pre-existing conditions, but there's no plan out there. And the Democrats who put in Obamacare know that it has failed. It's being managed a little bit more effectively. There have been regulatory changes that have opened up some doors that were closed down. But at the end of the day, the Obamacare process has failed. Republicans and Democrats need to come together. The question is, will they? You and I don't need more empty political promises or bumper sticker slogans. We want solutions now. And I know that we can get it if we really want to. If not, we've got to build a coalition enough to get the votes, to get through the BS of politicians and insurance companies. It's not going to be easy because there are very strong lobbying interests, financial interests that bear on the politicians that have to vote for any kind of a change. And I don't wanna get into this issue of, is it a right or a privilege? Honestly, I don't care. We gotta do something practical. We need insurance now, and we need protection against the future costs of medical care that we might suffer in our family, or in the future have more pandemic issues and viruses like we have today. So let's spend the rest of this hour talking about personalized health insurance and how we can take it to the next level and explain to the public and to politicians that we want what we need at the cost that we want and we want to get health care when we want it. We want to be able to have it financed so that the cost of that health care is reasonable and that we have more control over what we get not just have to listen to the politicians or suffer under the foot of the healthcare industrial complex. We'll be right back, and we'll get into this in more detail. See you in a minute.
0: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following.
1: Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. We're going to talk about personalized health insurance, the way to finance the health care that you need. Without the ability to finance health care, you're never going to get the health care that you really want and that you need. So let's get into the description and details of personalized health insurance. And you know that's important because what happened during this coronavirus scare, the president called in the insurance company executives and said, I want you to cover this test without cost, without coinsurance, without deductibles, without copays." The insurance industry complied. That's where the private market and the government can work together in times of crisis. But as we move forward to real health insurance reform, after we get through all this crisis that we're going on now, and we will get through it, I want to warn you about typical political tricks that occur anytime we try to make major changes. Now, one trick that they use against us is that everyone points a finger of blame to the other person for our dysfunctional healthcare system. Insurers blame hospitals and doctors. Hospitals blame insurers, doctors blame lawyers, employers blame non-compliant employees, and hospitals blame technology and increasing costs. And so the blame goes on and on with no solution. Another trick they use is to propose comprehensive solutions to large problems. Now, healthcare is a large problem. It incorporates almost 18% of our gross domestic product. Any industry that large is complicated, and it has a lot of vested interests that will protect the status quo. And they use that against us by suggesting comprehensive reforms that include other political agendas. That way, Everybody will find something to oppose when you have a comprehensive solution. As a consequence, nothing ever gets done. Because it's hard to be for something. It's easier to be against something. So when you have a comprehensive reform, there's something in there that nobody likes enough to vote for the whole package. Now, politicians and lobbyists in particular know this. They use it all the time. They some are just too stupid to understand, and they use industry and political shorthand, a lot of the alphabet soup letter organizations and products and structures. And they just try to make it complicated, but it really isn't. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know the difference between health insurance and health care. And while they're intertwined, health care is how one receives services from medical providers, doctors and hospitals, as an example. And health insurance is how one finances Health care. So we've got to work on the first part. How do we finance it? That's what most Americans are really looking for. And how do we do that? Well, most Americans, 176 million, get their health care through their private health insurance, sponsored health insurance. And then if you're another one of the 28 million people who are uninsured, you know that the way you would get your health care that you want without delaying or having to pay for out-of-pockets to have good health insurance. Those are the people who most clearly understand the value of health insurance as the access door to health care. Well, personalized health insurance really is the idea of addressing the needs of two-thirds of our population, 200 million people, who are covered by private health insurance or uninsured. The other 100 million people are already under government programs. Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, the VA system. The government controls all of that. And most of those programs are really messed up. They don't provide the right kind of services. They don't provide the right kind of financing. And the health insurance that's provided for many of those, especially the Medicaid population, which is insurance for the poor, They get an insurance card, but the ability to access health care is very limited because the government doesn't pay the providers enough money. So most providers, many providers, opt out of the whole system and don't accept any Medicaid patients. Medicare insurance for the older folks, also a government program, helps people over age 65 is so inadequate that most people have to buy a supplement policy. The VA system, we've all heard the stories about waiting lists, distorted data, incompetent leaders and managers and providers in the VA system. So there are a lot of vested interests there and because they're already politically and government controlled programs, I wanna set those aside. And deal with the 200 million people in this country that get their insurance through the private market and how that ought to be restructured because there are far too many rules and regulations and Obamacare requirements, state regulations, various laws that dramatically impact most of those people. But even out of that group of people, many companies can sidestep some of those requirements by setting up. Their programs as what they call self insured insurance programs, so that you come under a different federal law that actually gives many large employers a way around a lot of the mess and regulations that are set up to provide health insurance. So, what we really want to focus on are a couple of areas under personalized health insurance. The large employer sponsored plans. The small employer-sponsored plans, which are very different under different laws and regulations, different controls for that small employer group. Far too many uninsured are in the working poor that are working for small employers that are strangled with the insurance laws and regulations that that group is under. Then you have the individually purchased insurance market. That's the third area. And the laws and regulations for that group are very similar to the small group. They're really state-controlled laws and regulations. And then you overlay that with the Obamacare requirements. You overlay that with federal exchanges that don't do a very good job of getting people the insurance they want. A One size fits all. There's no flexibility. There's no personalization in that marketplace for individual coverage. And then the fourth area, the uninsured population, another 28 million people in that category. So that's what we want to try to do and who we want to focus on when we're talking about personalized health insurance. Now, we don't want to go back to the pre-Obamacare days. That was a bad system. Those laws and regulations were written mostly by insurance industry lawyers. So we don't want to revert to that system We can't let insurance industry lobbyists write the laws in this new environment. We'll only get shafted a second time. So personalized health insurance is a new health insurance system that is consumer-driven and patient-centric. Personalized health insurance is an approach to get the insurance you want when you want it at an affordable price. Now interestingly enough, while well, we need to replace Obamacare and I think we will, personalized health insurance wants to pick up on the best of all ideas. And there are some good ideas in the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act structure. And so personalized health insurance will be much more flexible in its designs and its options and its pricing and choices. But there are some features that were important to incorporate in any reform, and Obamacare did some of those, like guaranteed issue, making sure everybody can get coverage, coverage of pre-existing conditions, coverage of dependent children up to probably age 26, as good a number as any. Because our children are going to college more, they're going to trade schools more, And sometimes they're going to graduate degrees. And we need people in that science, technology, engineering, and mathematic areas that take many years to develop. We need people that are doctors that take longer time to get through school. So covering dependent children up to age 26 makes a lot of sense. Unlimited lifetime maximum. That's in Obamacare and is a good idea. And the market has changed for the reinsurance necessary to offer that so that you can bring in Lloyd's of London for that unlimited lifetime catastrophic situation and share that risk with other companies so that everybody can have the benefit of that and not run out of their insurances because they have a catastrophic claim. So the personalized health insurance builds on the strength of the country. It uses its efficiencies innovation and choices of the private market, and the consumer protections of government. And what I would tell anybody listening to this, if we cannot unite around personalized health insurance, then surely we will head towards a one size fits all structure that fails to meet our unique needs. So how would personalized health insurance help you and your family? First, you are unique with different needs during the changing times of your life. Second-year family medical concerns will change from when you are single to when you first have children to when you become an empty nester. Most importantly, at all stages of life, personalized health insurance will cover any and all pre-existing conditions. That's usually the number one thing people are thinking about these days as they move into the future and think about health reform. Are politicians telling me the truth about covering pre existing conditions? I know you're anxious to see how all this will work to get more detail and depth. So let's get into the nitty gritty. If you're an individual applying for insurance, you're guaranteed acceptance under a personalized health insurance plan in one of four ways. You're either going to be accepted by a participating insurer when you make an application so that they come back with a cost, a price, a plan design that you like, and you're accepted. It's a contract mutually agreed to by both parties. And about 88 to 89% of the people historically, when we had that kind of a underwriting system, were accepted. Second, if you're not accepted, there will be a new organization that we will detail in the next segment called the Health Review Authority, and if you're not truly uninsurable, you may have been rejected unfairly. So we're going to level the playing field, and that Health Review Authority is going to give you a certificate of guaranteed coverage, which you can take back, and the insurance company will have to provide you with insurance at an affordable rate. The third, if you're not truly uninsurable and you've been rejected haven't been able to find a compatible, mutually agreeable Policy at the right price. You can be accepted into a premium subsidized insurance program. It may look very similar to an Obama exchange, but for a much smaller part of the population, much more targeted towards a premium subsidy. And then fourth, you can get acceptance into a subsidized impaired health support group. If you're truly uninsurable, and that's about two to three percent of the population, those are the people who need the most help. To lower our healthcare costs as a nation. So simple as one, two, three, four, it's easily communicated. No one is mandated to buy insurance against their will, but 100% of Americans will be able to purchase health insurance if they want it. Come on back in the next section and we'll describe in more
0: detail how this actually can work. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. We're talking about an entirely new way to find, to promote, to actually get the country to restructure its health insurance system. We've laid out the basics for what I'm calling personalized health insurance. Personalized is a key word here, obviously, And what it means is that you can get the insurance that you need. You're a unique person, and the structure ought to allow for you getting what you need that provides the coverage you want. Now, we've talked about steps one, two, three, four in the last segment of this program, and that really applies to individual insurance, people looking for individual policies, which is only about 5 to 10% of the insurance is purchased in the United States. The real issue about a true health reform that helps you get to a personalized coverage is not only individual insurance, which can clearly be very personalized to your specific needs, but also to get small group insurance policies that more effectively meet your need. Those policies are many times selected by an employer, but you have options within there. And the type of program that your employer selects can dramatically impact what your options are. So let's consider the situation where you get health insurance through an employer. Now, I focused on small employers because if you're working for a large self-insured employer, they're regulated under a very different much more flexible federal law called ERISA. Now, you may not even know that your employer-sponsored plan is self-insured. Just go and ask your human resource department. They'll tell you. It's not a secret. ERISA laws and regulations are completely different from the laws governing individual policies and small group contracts. But about 60% of Americans get coverage through large self-insured employer-sponsored plans. Employees and family members are not individually underwritten in self-insured plans. ERISA requires coverage of preexisting conditions with minimal exclusions for limited periods if there are any exclusions. Coverage is guaranteed, usually after a short waiting period of employment of 30 or 60 days. So if you work for a large self-insured company, You get guaranteed issue insurance, coverage for pre-existing conditions, and employer subsidies that can be 50 to 75%, if not 100% of the cost of healthcare. Small groups are a different kettle of fish. Much like individual policies, small fully insured groups are governed by both Obamacare requirements and state laws. ERISA does not apply to individual or fully insured small groups. Before Obamacare, some states tried to mandate small group coverage and community rating. It was putting everybody in the same pot, not differentiating between good health and bad health and good health activities or plans that encouraged it, or educational programs at the work site that encouraged good health. You were just thrown in with the bad health, didn't get the benefit of your good health. But like Obamacare, those state efforts distorted the market and they fail to encourage more coverage or lower prices. Now we don't want to continue to go back to those failed policies. So there's gotta be a new way forward, especially for that small group marketplace where employers are willing to subsidize, which is a better way to go about than having the government subsidize. The employers are gonna get the benefit of a healthier, more productive workforce. So why shouldn't they subsidize? They do want to subsidize, and small employers who have insurance actually subsidize to about the same level as large employers, between 50 and 75 percent, and many times 100 percent. It's probably more 100 percent coverages for small groups than large groups. So we must find a new way forward. Personalized health insurance creates a path for persons in small groups, employees, and family members with serious chronic and persistent conditions to be accepted into the impaired health support group that individuals are accepted into that I described in the last segment. But segmenting these needs from their small group coverage would not create a stigma of saying, well, I'm identifying you as a special person because it's a special service to provide the extra help and support needed to deal with impaired health conditions. Most employees don't want to be identified as high-risk but they're certainly willing to accept help for their impaired health. Most employees and family members, for most of them, personalized health insurance for small groups be handled much like that personal health insurance for individual policies. The major difference is that you would be the, and the employer would be subsidizing costs. That was everybody puts in a little bit. That would be true if you're an individual going into this impaired health support group, you would pay part of the premium. And if you're coming from a group, you would be paying part of the premium, but also your employer would be subsidizing the cost in that impaired health support group. So while you're no longer a part of the employer's experience, the employer's contribution per employee or per family member, if that's what it involved, would go in to help pay for the costs and subsidize that impaired health support group, which probably has additional support from state and or federal monies. So it can be very affordable to the individual that has the impaired health because there's multiple streams. Some would call it a braided stream of funding to help support the impaired health support coverages. So within a small group, there might be a serious condition that makes a plan member, an employee or family member uninsurable. And that would affect the insurability of the entire group and or add significant premium cost to others in the group. And if you did what some states did with what I called community rating a minute ago, it would increase the cost for everybody. And all those people who are uninsurable in small group business would create a higher premium cost for everybody. So it makes small groups who would like to buy insurance for their employees unable to buy because the entire community rating is that much higher. So personalized health insurance would allow them to qualify for the same impaired health support coverages provided under individual policies. So in this case, it's not one, two, three, four, but the answer is one, two, three. First, all members of the group are accepted by a participating insurer. In most states, pre-Obamacare, that was the case. and There's no state or federal subsidies involved. Secondly, number two, Initially, the group, if it's rejected, but after review by the Health Review Authority, the entire small group is accepted, acceptable. is is not really an uninsurable group. Everybody's got some health conditions within the group, so they're not necessarily perfect, but there's nobody that drives the cost up so much that it justified the rejection by an insurance company. That entire group, then, would get a certificate of guaranteed coverage, much like an individual who is determined not to be uninsurable would get a certificate of guaranteed coverage. So the number three, the health review authority segments an individual within that small group. It could be an employee, it could be a family member. It segments those out of the small group and puts them into the impaired health support group coverages. And that would have federal and state subsidies. And also, as I said before, it would have the contribution that an employer would normally make to that individual, to all other individuals within that small group. So there's multiple sources to help fund this. So that's it. One, two, three. Real easy for small groups. So let me move on and talk about this, a third option here that is really a magic sauce of getting small group into the high-risk or the impaired health support group, as I call it. Under personalized health insurance, it allows for special personalized services and coverages for those most in immediate need of medical care. It allows for the use of subsidized impaired health group coverages for both individuals and group contracts. By pulling out the sickest among us from small groups, it can lower the premium for individual and small group insurance by 20 to 25%, which means more small employers who are on the sidelines looking, waiting, hoping for affordable health insurance can actually get it because if they have somebody with an impaired health status within their group, their premium is going to be lower. And because every other small employer out there is able to shed, if you will, the highest costs, of those who are uninsurable, the entire risk that's left in the marketplace is that much lower for everybody. So employers in the small group market, under 50 employees is what I define as small group, can find access and purchase for their employees. Health insurance, that's 20 to 25% lower by using this mechanism. But for small group, there's an added benefit. Not only at the initial purchase of health insurance can you segment out somebody who's potentially uninsurable, but after you go through the first 12 months and you get into the second 12-month period, which would be the renewal of that small group contract, if something has happened during that first year that somebody becomes uninsurable and have high costs, those costs would have been covered by the premiums in that first year. But there's a second bite at the apple. You can take additional people out of that small group after the first year and put them into the impaired health support group if they are at that point uninsurable. Again, helps to lower the premiums and the costs and encourages insurance companies to want to participate in this program. Because as you'll see in the next segment, we're not gonna require insurance companies. We're not gonna mandate insurance companies participate in this program. With this kind of a benefit of segmenting people out of their marketplace into a subsidized impaired health support group, the insurance company is going to benefit greatly by having much more affordable products. So if they don't do this, they won't have those benefits. So the real key here is getting the insurance companies to participate by giving them some incentives with lower product costs. But they'll also have to participate in both the individual and small group market. See, before Obamacare, one of the real problems was that insurance companies would avoid selling individual policies so that they could avoid those impaired health risks under personalized health insurance. That's not going to be possible. Well, we're at the end of another segment. We're going to come back in the final segment and talk about this new entity I've been discussing called the Health Review Authority Authority. And flush that out for you a little bit more. So we'll be right back in just a minute. And you're on America's Web Radio, and this is Healthcare Insight.
0: Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online
1: and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine, and the warm heat, air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it,
0: and you'll love having one in your shop. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. You're listening to Healthcare Insight, and we've been talking about personalized health insurance entirely new system to replace the current mess that we have in the marketplace with Obamacare, state rules and regulations, all this written by insurance companies and insurance company lawyers and lobbyists, not to the benefit of individuals, but to the benefit of the industry. What we want to create is a consumer-driven, patient-centric system, and that's what personalized health insurance is all about. Now, in the previous segments, We mentioned a number of times a new entity called the Health Review Authority. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about it. Let me explain exactly what it is and what it is not. A major part of personalized health insurance is the creation of the Health Review Authority. It's a free market alternative to what Obamacare tried to do with the coercive power of the federal government. Obamacare tried to force insurers to accept all applications by government mandates and the promise to make insurers whole, for any losses they might have. That was the core of what Obamacare was really about. Personalized health insurance, however, empowers individuals and in small groups by establishing a public-private partnership called the Health Review Authority. The Health Review Authority is the mechanism that levels the playing field between the consumer, the applicant for insurance, and the otherwise singularly powerful insurance company. When an individual small group employer applied for insurance, they didn't know for sure whether they'd be covered and accepted for insurance. That was the way it was pre-Obamacare. But the Health Review Authority will review applications that have been rejected by participating insurers. Rejected applications will be determined as to whether or not Individuals identified would be insurable or uninsurable. Financial need will be considered only for individual applicants. So if they're insurable but they have a financial need, that'll be considered. But for small groups, that's not necessary. We're talking about the financial support from the small employer themselves. They will usually give 50 to 75% subsidy, so there's no need. For federal or state subsidies in that case, for a group that is insurable. But if you have an individual who's insurable but also has some financial issues, we need to be able to take care of them and get them affordable coverage with some subsidy. But that's not true of small groups. That's why you have one, two, three, four for individuals and only one, two, three as a solution for small groups. Personalized Health Insurance uses the Health Review Authority to identify and segment impaired health risks for special support. Keep in mind that no one wants to be labeled as high risk, but most would support and want to support for their impaired health. By identifying and subsidizing impaired health risks, the premiums for others, whether it's the individual or small group market, would be lowered by 15 to 20 percent and maybe even 25 percent. The Health Review Authority will establish the standards of insurability. In addition, the Health Review Authority will oversee and manage the impaired health support group coverages. For public administration oversight, the Health Review Authority is probably assigned to the Department of State at the state level or to HHS at the federal level. The beauty of a market-based approach is that it is voluntary for insurer participation. We don't require them to, we don't mandate the insurance company to do anything. They don't have to participate in this program. So rather than a government mandate, a system of incentives will encourage insurers to participate. We don't have to cover their losses as Obamacare does. We just have to create a more affordable product that expands their marketplace and pulls out the high risk into a government subsidy. Aha, you say, government subsidy. That sounds like a Obamacare promise to cover insurer losses. No, no. Only lives with impaired health will be subsidized, not the insurers. We're not going to subsidize the insurer's losses. The incentive for insurers is that if they participate, they will be able to place the impaired health lives into government subsidized coverages. This will allow participating insurers to sell their products to the remaining lives at a much lower rate. You may be wondering, will insurers be mandated to use the same selection and underwriting standards? The short answer to that is no. We're not going to mandate changing how they underwrite or how they select lives. That means you could apply to one insurance company and you might get rejected. You apply to another one, you get accepted. Each participating insurer will be allowed to set its own standards for risk selection. You might be accepted to one company, but not to another one, as I just said. But that difference must also be addressed, but without a government mandate. So how do we do that? The Health Review Authority solves that problem by the power to issue a certificate of guaranteed coverage. You see, a viable individual or small group private market cannot exist if any insurer abuses the selection process by accepting only the young and healthy. That was the problem before Obamacare. Insurers could cherry-pick applicants. Before Obamacare, you and I would have no recourse to that rejection. So the critical part here is an individual certificate of guaranteed coverage. Changes the game. So personalized health insurance applications Rejected for individual health coverage from participating insurers can challenge the underwriting decision with the Health Review Authority. So here's how it works for an individual, and then I'll describe how it will work for the small group. If the applicant applying to the Health Review Authority is an individual and is determined to be insurable, that individual will be given a certificate of guaranteed coverage to secure affordable coverage at rates appropriate to the health status and history of that individual. It'll all be determined by the review authority. An individual certificate of guaranteed coverage can be taken to any participating carrier, not just the original rejecting insurer. And that carrier that you take it to would have to provide coverage for pre existing conditions and guarantee that application is accepted. Premiums will be at standard rates or with any premium rating or temporary benefit limits as deemed appropriate by the Health Review Authority. Participating insurers must accept the certificates of guaranteed coverage equal to the number of individual applicants they previously rejected for coverage. So as rejections occur, there's sort of a bank account that's built up on the number of required acceptances that that insurance carrier is going to be required to take back or accept from the Health Review Authority. Carriers rejecting relatively good risk might find that they are required to accept much worse risks back under the Certificate of Guarantee Coverage. By balancing the application process in this way, carriers will begin to accept more applicants and industry underwriting standards will be voluntarily moderated in favor of the consumer. So we're empowering the consumer with a couple of mechanisms in the Health Review Authority. Participating insurers submitting eligible individuals who are determined to be uninsurable and are accepted into the impaired health support coverage will no longer be obligated to cover the claims for that individual. Now let's go on and talk about small groups because that's really critical that the Health Review Authority improve the marketing capability and the pricing to the small group market. So insurers can request the Health Review Authority to review identified members of a small group. If a member of a fully insured small group, that is, 50 or fewer employees, and those individuals are determined to be uninsurable, the group member, employer, family member will be provided access to a selection of impaired health support coverages. Keep in mind, impaired health support coverages are multiple, and next week we'll get into some of the details of all the different options and choices that could be available. It's not just one plan. Participating insurers are obligated to offer coverage to the group if the member or members are determined by the Health Review Authority to be insurable. The group would be granted a certificate of guarantee coverage, the entire group. Participating insurers submitting members of small groups were determined to be uninsurable can exclude those individuals from the small group policy. In addition, at the first annual policy renewal, any newly identified uninsurable persons in that renewal group can also apply for the Impaired Health Support Coverage Plan. Moving uninsurable people with impaired health conditions from small group plans at both the initial application and first renewal year is a major feature of personalized health insurance. It will make small, fully insured groups more affordable. Estimates are that small group premiums can be lowered by as much as 15 to 20% or maybe more. Federal laws, regulations, will not have to mandate acceptance standards. However, over time, insurers will begin to improve and approve more individual and small group applications so as not to accept those with a certificate of guaranteed coverage, which may not be as good or as healthy as the lives they turned away. So that's the process. Now, it's hard to know for sure how many people are truly uninsurable, but there is ample evidence that the number of and the cost is much smaller than most would presume. Obamacare actually gave us a test on that. It proves the number of uninsurables to be lower than expected because included in Obamacare was a three-and-a-half-year test program known as the Pre-Existing Condition Insurance Plan, or the PCIP for those alphabet soup fans out there. It launched in the summer of 2010. The Affordable Care Act actually appropriated $5 billion to finance the program. Three years later, by April 30th, 2013, there were only 110,000 individuals enrolled in that program and they expected many, many more. In addition, a Kaiser Foundation study in 2011 showed that the uninsured is a percentage of the individual market to be 2.2%. And the individual market is only about 5 to 10% of the population. In a small group plan, any poor risk is usually moderated by all the good risks in the program. Unless that one person is truly uninsurable, we talked about how we could pull them out of that group. Therefore, the presumed uninsured are probably less than 1% of the total privately insured population. So before Obamacare, these people were dismissed in the state high-risk pools, which we've said many times we don't want to go back to that but we can go into an impaired health support group, which actually helps these people get better. That's the whole purpose of personalized health insurance. So we're going to cover more about how the details of this work, how the system actually works next week. We're going to get into how and why the insurance companies would really want to do this, how and why the country ought to move in this direction, and how and why you as an individual can help support the development of a personalized health insurance system both by asking your employer to implement certain programs to help support politicians that are willing to go in this direction, but to make your voice heard because you have the most powerful weapon in the world, and that is the vote. We're going to talk about how you can actually make all this work in our next section. So this is not just an academic exercise. This is not a think tank process. This is not something that high in the sky. This is stuff that we can actually get done. And you can actually get what you need. And you can actually get things that will help your family. And at the end of the day, that's worth fighting for. That's worth understanding and promoting. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being with us. I'm Ron Bachman. This is America's Web Radio. We're signing off on Healthcare Insight. See you next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.